This week on Medical Minefield, Dr Ellie Cannon on the risks of the pill. I don't think contraceptive options are particularly great, to be honest. I think they generally all tend to have side effects, all tend to have risks. But the absolute risks are still tiny, and this is all about a way up of benefit. For example, we know that the contraceptive pill protects against endometrial cancer. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, does the contraceptive pill really give you breast cancer and how worried should we be about it? As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so if you've got a suggestion or a question for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, Eve, I'm warning you, this this episode is going to be bloke tries to talk about hormonal contraceptives. We'll help you out, uh, Which worry. is something that I know very, very little about. But there was a study that was published earlier this week that looked at the risks of the mini pill. The mini pill is a pill that contains one key female hormone, which is called progesterone. The drug is progestogen or progestins. The terms seem to be interchangeable. This is an alternative to the combined pill. Mm -hmm. The combined pill contains another female hormone, estrogen. And progestogens, progesterones. People take the mini pill if they don't have a good time on the combined pill. There, there can be slightly different side effects. Some people suffer migraines on the combined pill. I, I know. And and traditionally, if a woman is over thirty five and smokes or has risk factors for cardiovascular disease, it's thought there is a slightly greater risk of heart problems or blood clots and such like with the combined pill. So they might be recommended to take the mini pill. But what this study showed was something a bit different. It showed it was the first study that really looked at the breast cancer risk and progesterone. Progesterone. <laughs> progesterone. Progesterone is quite active in in the breast, I'm told. So uh, they looked at the breast cancer risk and, and there was this very slight increased risk and that risk increased more as a woman got older because, of course, younger women have an extremely low risk of breast cancer anyway. But if you got past the age of about 35, I think, or 40 and were still taking the mini pill, then your risk of breast cancer anyway would be higher. So you would have a relative increased risk that was greater But it was a very small risk. And I think most experts said it's not really a cause for worry. But from what I read, the study also looked at the risk of breast cancer with other types of pills, so the combined pill, and found that there's still an increased risk of breast cancer with the combined pill too. And that's presumably because the combined pill also contains progesterone. Yes. Well, what do you think of the pill? Well, it's one of the many pills I take. <laughs> no, it's one of two pills I take. Ease medication. Yes, part, part 700. Um, I was on it for like 10 years, I think. Um, and were you on the combined? Combined or? pill, always right. the combined pill. And it's always been the sort of like bog standard cheap one that they give to everyone. It was microgynon. I've never really had any problems with it. Always been pretty, pretty fine and standard. Apart from, I guess you could say, the most recent time I started taking it again 
which was basically a decade after I stopped taking it. I went back on it and I experienced some intermittent bleeding between periods. But interestingly, it was particularly bad when I back-to-backed packets, so I didn't have my, my break in between. And more recently, doctors say it's perfectly safe to do that, whereas before it was sort of advised against. Back-to-backing pill packets for me, and I've since learned some women, can lead to more intermittent bleeding. So although doctors say it's completely risk-free and, well, there's there's not high risks of, of taking pill packets back-to-back and not having a break, however, you may experience some intermittent bleeding. People say the risks are very small of these these contraceptives. And, and obviously, when they were brought in, I think it was in the 60s, wasn't it, that the pill came in? And it was a revolution because prior to that, women had had very little control over mm. whether or not they got pregnant, yeah. which could be quite life-changing. And, Arguably, and you know, pre- one of the most liberating yeah. discoveries for, for women. Nowadays, there are a huge variety of options with contraceptives. So why would you take something that affected your hormones in such a way? And even if there was a small risk of things like blood clots? Well, the argument has always been, hasn't it, that if there was a a male pill in the same way or a different type of male contraceptive, then it would be risk-free. And the only reason why there's these risks is because not enough research has been done to find something that's safe because it's taken by women and no one cares enough about women. So why the pill instead of something like the coil or... Well, so the coil, there's two types of coils. One of them is a hormonal coil, so it does still involve hormones and the other one is a non-hormonal coil some women do opt for that because they'd rather not have the hormones however you know it does involve a minor procedure the some hormone women, one's called marina isn't marina it? yes oh, yeah lovely <laughs> uh, you know some women feel uncomfortable about the prospect of having a metal thing inside you also i i know that some women find it can be complicated if it gets mis it can get mislodged and it has to be replaced do i think people, every five years do people still use the diaphragm I only know about it from friends. What about femidoms? I don't know. I I, I can't possibly comment. Never seen one, never used one. Have you never seen one? No. They're very very strange looking. I imagine it looks a bit like a moon cup. No, it's it's kind of like a, a tube. Oh. It's like a not a slinky, but you know, it's a yeah. it's a long tube with a with a yeah. I mean, look, uh, Julia, the, our producer, is is holding up a picture. Why would you do that? I don't understand. Why not put the condom over the thing that it easily goes over, rather than trying to insert a bag? Maybe the idea is that you can be pre-prepared. Pre- <laughs> is that like is you're like, taking control? Have you ever been on a date where help. someone's already been wearing the condom? Answer me that. No. Good. I'm really glad. <laughs> I, I've heard it happens. I, I'm not surprised. But anyway, a male pill. Uh, has not yet been invented. Well, it has been invented, but one that is effective has not yet. Been do you invented. think that a man would? Do you think men would take the pill? That's the argument, isn't it? That that they wouldn't take it. Women, I bet you they wouldn't would take have it. to rely on on men to control their own reproductive health. Would women ever trust men to take the pill? That old chestnut. I wouldn't. Really? Why not? No. Useless. Don't worry, love. I'm on the pill. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Fine then. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what were we talking about? Risks of the pill, breast cancer. 
But I was interested to read a piece this week in The Times by Charlie Goins Eglinton, who I believe is one of their fashion editors, about how she stopped taking the pill the minute that her sister was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 32. Right. Her argument is, so so they they have the, the BRCA gene in their family, which... Fortunately, Charlie says that she's been tested and she doesn't have, but her sister did. Both of their grandmothers uh, died of breast cancer. And I think her paternal grandmother, that they think that that's where the BRCA gene came into the lineage of their family. Can I ask you, if you discovered you had the BRCA gene, would you have a preventative mastectomy? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. Also, because don't they do a reconstruction? Yeah, they can do, can't y- they? Yeah, and... Very realistic. Probably better. Anyway, so... What was interesting about this piece was that she felt that she had been on the pill for a decade, I think, and no one at any point had told her about any of the risks. And she felt that her sister was diagnosed with breast cancer at a very young age and for her the risk just wasn't worth it and she stopped taking it and also argued that women should be counselled properly about the risks Absolutely. There's There was an argument that I got into on Twitter, of course. Recently, we published a story talking about not contraceptives, but the breast cancer risk for breast cancer survivors in taking HRT. Mm. So obviously, it's a completely different ballgame. So if you've had breast cancer and you take HRT, which contains estrogen, there is this increased risk. And it is a very small increased risk. Mm. And so people who say that it's fine or that women shouldn't be scared or discouraged from taking HRT when they've had breast cancer, if menopausal symptoms are causing distress, that they say, oh, it's just, you know, if you take 10,000 women, you'll get 100 that would develop breast cancer for a second time anyway, mm. and then you'd get 140. I mean, th- these are completely plucked out thin air. These aren't actually the figures. But it's not a ma- massive increased risk. It's not like, you know, a 20-fold increased risk or something mm. like that. Mm. You know, but there is, and you can't say there isn't. Mm. But people who say that menopausal symptoms are a real problem they say that benefits of HRT would outweigh the risk. Mm. And it was an interesting debate on Twitter, seeing what breast cancer survivors felt was an acceptable risk. Mm. So whether or not any increased risk, having gone through surgery, radiotherapy, Mm. chemotherapy, you know, life-changing treatments, and the idea of having breast cancer again, to some people, any increased risk was alarming and not something they would want to do. They'd rather have the worst hot flushes ever and mood swings and all kinds of things and try and weather it out than increase their breast cancer risk. Mm. Whereas other people say it's wrong to say that there's an increased risk when the increased risk is small. So, I mean, it's 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 very much, I think, something that people have to take on board and think exactly what they want for themselves and what they find acceptable for themselves, I suppose. Well, exactly. And I think when it comes to contraception, it's even more sort of an individual choice because something like having a child isn't necessarily directly a health risk when you don't want one. But there's obviously lots of repercussions that could, in fact, affect your health and your social life and everything else and financially and whatever else. So it's very important that a person understands what the risks are overall in order to make that decision. But I guess with medications like the contraceptive pill that are taken so frequently and by so many millions of people you do run the risk of scaremongering by 
every time a patient wants to have the contraceptive pill saying, well, do you know that there's a risk of breast cancer and, and going getting into a conversation about it? You know, perhaps that's the concern. I mean, I was quite surprised that when I decided that I wanted to take it, I could fill out an online form on Boots' website. Within about five minutes, I had a doctor send me an email saying, yep, absolutely fine. And I went down the road to the pharmacy and picked it up. But that's presumably because it's considered so low risk. Yes. And also the importance of women getting access, easy, simple access to contraception is, you know, valued. Well, look, before we go any further, let's talk to a doctor who actually knows about these things rather than us. <laughs> well, you, we I mean, you know on more forever. About, you, you know more about this than I do, obviously. Well, comes with the territory. On the line now, we've got our GP columnist extraordinaire, Ellie Cannon, Dr. Ellie Cannon. Thanks for joining us, Ellie. We're talking today about the risks of the pill. There was this story this week that looked at a big study that, that found this slight breast cancer increased risk on the mini pill. And you took to Twitter to say, look, it's really not that that big a deal. Well, it's interesting because the actual sort of, I suppose, big news is that we've always associated the combined pill with some increased risk of breast cancer. But what was new here was, as you say, the mention of the mini pill and also the mention of other forms of contraception that listeners will be aware of, like coils, the intrauterine system, which is um, the, what commonly called the myrena with the hormones. So, that was really interesting because I think that's not something that we've known about before. And we do obviously talk to patients about all of these risks. And it does remain that the absolute risk, so your chance as an individual, remains very small. But you say, Ellie, that these risks are discussed with patients during consultations. But I mean, speaking as somebody who has relatively recently had a prescription for the pill, I didn't have any consultation with anyone. It was done online. I went into Boots. I picked it up. I thought it was wonderful because it was so convenient. Realistically, are patients going to be aware of these risks? Well, obviously, I can only talk from sort of my own experience and what best practice is. And for the combined pill, we use guidance within GP surgeries and sexual health clinics, whether you're seeing a nurse or a doctor. And we use something called MEC guidelines and we risk stratify people. So we look at their different risks. So, for example, have they got risks from their weight or from their age or from their family history? So, Really, that should all be discussed, absolutely. And it's certainly common practice within my clinic where I'm used to prescribing, where it's not just doctors, but also nurses prescribing to talk through the risks of breast cancer. One interesting thing that I wanted to say about why these other forms of contraception may also now carry the breast cancer risk, I wasn't sure whether or not there were actually confounding factors. So somebody like myself, for example, I come from a family, as you know, where there's a lot of breast cancer in my family. So I've always opted out of the contraceptive pill and looked at other methods. And I wonder if there are actually a lot of people like me who come with risks anyway of breast cancer and we opt into those other methods like coils and progesterone any pills. And so that's why within those groups as well, you also get some breast cancer risk. I'm not sure if they look sort of at the 
at the sort of granular detail at things like that. And likewise, patients who are obese, for example, which we also now appreciate carries with it a risk of cancer, breast cancer, would possibly be sort of contraindicated from having a combined pill and therefore might be encouraged to have those other forms of contraception. So what's the safest form in terms of risks for, you know, side effects? It's a really good question. And I'll say to you what I say to patients when I see them in clinic, which is I don't think contraceptive options are particularly great, to be honest. I think they generally all tend to have side effects, all tend to have risks. And, you know, they, they all come with, with their own problems. And I think women being comfortable on a form of contraception and being at low risk is often more luck than anything else. And that probably sounds very pessimistic, but, you know, it's true. There's a lot of side effects, but the pill is very effective in terms of contraception. There's less effective methods across the board right down to sort of using a condom but obviously they also have their own issues coils can change your periods both making them heavier and making them lighter and lots of different things implants can be sort of associated also with a lot of period irregularity so I think really as a headline comment I don't think there are great options I think it's making do a lot of the time what are the risks of condoms well, the main risk of condoms is that they're operator dependent, so they don't actually always work and they fall off and they split and people don't like using them and sometimes, you know, it's too late or this sort of thing. So, I mean, that's really the main risk. What about the non-hormonal coil, which I believe is, is that the IUD? The problem with the IUD, and interestingly, the IUD is also mentioned in this report as well as even slightly increasing your breast cancer risk, which is why I wonder if that's actually to do with other factors. So the problem with the Mm. IUD that we find in practice is that it makes women's periods very heavy. So if you are a woman who would already describe your periods as heavy, then you wouldn't recommend an IUD to somebody because of that reason. Does it make them painful as well? No, not necessarily painful, but it makes them heavier and longer. And so that sort of can be an issue. Any coil is not really appropriate for somebody who's not in a consistent relationship because coils carry a risk of sort of infection traveling up into the tube. So what we call pelvic inflammatory disease, pelvic infections. So it's really for somebody in a stable relationship. And also, as we've sort of seen in the media in the last sort of few years, coil insertion and removal is not always a walk in the park. It is for a lot of women, particularly if you've already given birth. But if you've not given birth, having a coil fitted can be quite uncomfortable. And getting an appointment to have one is not as as quick and easy these days as well, is it? Well, getting an appointment to have one, I would describe myself in London as being sort of a bit like sort of trying to get concert tickets to see Madonna. I mean, it's impossible, <laughs> I have to say, and I speak from personal experience trying to get one and trying to get them for my patients. We have in London a system where you have to click on a certain link at the right time of day. And if you're lucky, there'll be an appointment at a specific time. So, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy to get them. We haven't resourced sexual health clinics as well as we should have done. And a lot of GP surgeries don't offer coil clinics because they don't have capacity to anymore. So there is there is quite an issue, as you say, getting them. Ellie, can I ask, where do you stand on femidoms? 
I don't think I've heard that word for about 20 years. It's certainly not something that patients are asking for. or that Does I've it still exist? Heard. Was it just the 80s? I do not know if they do still exist or not. And I haven't. We used to use contraceptive devices called caps and diaphragms, and I haven't. Oh, yeah, that's what I was asking about. Anybody using one of those for a long time. So, I mean, is it time to bring back more low risk methods? I suppose. I suppose it's not low risk if you get it stuck. Can I ask? Can I ask a question for some of my less educated friends? Oh, what about the pull out method? Well, I mean, obviously that is. Are you going to say it's not a method? It's not really a method. I mean, it's pretty flawed, and also there are sort of natural forms of contraception people use, sort of timing of their menstrual cycle and things like. Natural cycles. Mm. Yes, and things like natural cycles. But don't they just get you pregnant? Well, it depends which way you use it. It's the same system, isn't it? You either either opt in at a certain time or opt out at a certain time. Yeah, I mean, look, they are not great methods of contraception. It depends how uh, difficult it would be for you to have an unwanted pregnancy, but they're not great methods of contraception. So to to sum up, you've got a patient in clinic this week saying, oh, I've read this uh, scary story. Uh, apparently the, the pill I'm on raises the risk of breast cancer. Should I, should I switch? Okay, so it would really be the individual discussion with that person. I think if you look at this study, certainly if they were under the age of 30, then I would say you don't even really need to think about it because the risks are so incredibly small at that age. We also know, importantly, that the risks go once you come off the pill. So that's really good. And then otherwise, just sort of general chat through of what their other risks might be coming from and whether there are other reasons to switch. Sounds like very sensible advice. What What if the patient was 31, almost 32? Is that how old Eve is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would be having a chat to you about your other risks, but the absolute risks are still tiny. And this is all about a way up of, Um, a benefit. I mean, for example, we know that the contraceptive pill protects against endometrial cancer. So there's a benefit and a risk reduction right there. So it's all about weighing up all of those things as well. Excellent. Well, you've put my mind at ease. Thank you very much for joining us, Ellie. Cheers, Ellie. Thank you. Ellie had her children very young. She got it all out of the way. Yes, she did it. She did it in a very clever way, didn't she? Mm. And now she's on top of the world. Yeah, in her forties, free and easy. With I think you have children to, are almost leaving home these days. Let me tell you, I think you have to be very lucky to be in a position to find the right person to do that with at that age. What do you mean? Well, to find the person that you want to have a family with and spend the rest of your life with, and you know, at the age of twenty-five, you don't know who you are at the age of twenty-five. Mm, Ellie obviously enough. did. Before we were, when we weren't recording and having a, a natter, you were talking about an article by Elizabeth Day that you'd read recently, our pal Liz. Our pal Liz, yeah. Barney and I are slightly obsessed with Elizabeth Day. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was an article I read or I heard on a podcast, but I listen to a lot of podcasts that she speaks on because I love her. And um, she often talks about how, obviously, her heartbreak at the fact that she hasn't hasn't had a child and Mm. she's battled fertility problems which has meant that she hasn't been able to get pregnant and she's desperately wanted a child I sort of look at her and think you're this incredible successful intelligent beautiful bright woman very accomplished incredibly accomplished you know she has this 
wonderful partner who seems incredibly supportive. He's very good looking. She seems to kind of have it all. And yet when she talks about not being able to have a child, she doesn't talk about it in a sort of like, you know, well, I, I've decided, you know, my life's going to be different from what I imagined it to be. And But I have all of these fabulous things. It's very much that she is honest about the whole, that the fact that she may not be able to have children kind of is leaving for the rest of her life and that she feels it will always be somewhat of a gaping hole. Mm. And I don't know, as a, as a woman in her early 30s who hasn't had children, that sort of scares me. It makes me think, gosh, if I don't have children, that's how it's going to feel for the rest of my life. Whereas you read about other women who have either by choice or just by circumstance haven't had children and, and they sort of frame it in a slightly different, well, that's just my circumstances and actually I've made it work for me. So I guess it's very individual and, and I think it would be disingenuous of someone like Elizabeth Day who writes about this stuff so prolifically to say, actually, I'm fine with it and that's just my life now because clearly that's not how she feels. I suppose in terms of how women are viewed, though, there is definitely still in 2023 this idea that the highest expression of female success is to have children. Quite a corrosive trope, really, isn't it? Is there any evidence that contraceptives, especially hormonal contraceptives, can affect fertility in the long in the long run? From what I understand about the literature, there's very little evidence to that effect. However, something I have noticed is there are lots of lifestyle related things that can affect your fertility. For instance, overexercising, not eating enough. And there are lots of women who are on the pill for years and years and years. And because they're having their break in the pill and they're having their bleed, they think everything's fine. And then they come off the pill and they find that they can't get pregnant. And actually, the reason why they can't get pregnant is because they're exercising too much. They don't have a level of body fat that is needed to get pregnant. Their hormones are all over the place. And of course, it's easy to put it down to the pill. Well, I've been on this pill for 10 years. That's why. So what would your advice be to women then? Just take it. Just take the no, pill. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I don't know. Actually, the conversation with Ellie has made me reevaluate my chemical choices slightly. Why? Because my dad died of cancer quite young, which makes me think that there's probably some sort of genetic predisposition somewhere along the line. And I don't particularly want to increase that risk anymore if I can help it. I don't want breast cancer. And although, you know, as a health journalist, I know the risk is incredibly low and we take risks every day and blah, blah, blah. That there is something that sort of makes me think, well, if I could avoid it, perhaps there's a better choice. However, I don't particularly want really heavy periods. I don't like the idea of having to have a procedure to have a coil fitted. I don't want an implant in my arm. And what's the other one? Femidom. <laughs> Abstinence. <laughs> I think that's what that's what's going to happen. You'll read all about it, I expect. <laughs> Eve's celibacy. <laughs> that is all we've got time for on this weekend's Medical Minefield. Uh, you can read all their latest health news in the Mail on Sunday in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back. No, you say that. <laughs> we'll be back. Thank you. With another, another topic. topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>